cr101radio.com, podcasts, and more. To the book of Hebrews. Our sermon text this morning is from the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. This is God's word. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We'll end the reading of God's word there. Let's let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this precious passage, which is such an encouragement to us. We pray that you will help us to understand and to take it to heart, to be encouraged by it, to have more confidence in you, and to apply it to our lives, that we would come to you for help. And the struggles of our life. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. The Christian life, as we know, is quite difficult. It's wrought with many challenges, many sufferings, trials, temptations. We can often be discouraged. We can often struggle with the many things that are weighing us down, right? We can feel burden. We see that we feel that image. The weighing us down, like something is on our backs that's, that's pushing us down. We just don't feel like we have the strength to keep on going, to keep on bearing the load that's put on us, right? We have struggles. We have difficulties. And sometimes in, in the lower parts um, of life where we feel those things the most, we can feel like there's nobody who really understands the struggles we're going through, the, the temptations we face, the trials that we face. Who can really help us in our times of need? Who can help us overcome all these things? To get this weight off of us, this burden off of us. We feel like nobody else really understands the particulars of what we're going through or how much it's a challenge to us personally. I know that I felt that way, and I imagine that you feel that way sometimes too. And we can, we can feel discouraged and just, just worn out, just burdened down. The Lord knows, however, that we will feel this way. He expects that. From, he knows that we will. He anticipates that. And he has given us strong encouragement in this passage that we have before us in Hebrews chapter 4. So I want to go through it with us. Let's look at, look at verse 14 here, this encouraging passage. He says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We, sh- we should have confidence in the Christian life. We, can, we should have the ability to keep on pressing on, even when things are coming at us, when temptations and trials weigh us down. The Lord gives us confidence. And the first thing he says here to give us confidence and encouragement is that we have Jesus as our great high priest. We have Jesus as a great high priest who has done something. He has gone through the heavens. He has passed through the heavens on our behalf, we're told this already in the book of Hebrews, right, right in the beginning, in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says this about Jesus. It says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, that is, of the Father. And he upholds all things by the word of his power, and this part in particular. When he had made purification for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he, when he had crucified and he died and he was buried and then he rose again, shortly thereafter, what? He ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. It says the right hand of the majesty on high. It's the same thing, just using different words there. We're told that Jesus, after he had made purification for sins, has passed through the heavens on our behalf. And you're familiar with this because Jesus has told us that particularly. You remember the famous text from John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, remember the first verses that come before that. I'll read them for you. Listen to the context. John 14, 1 through 6. He says to his disciples, he had just told them, I'm going to be leaving and you can't come. So they're very discouraged. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For what? For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. You remember what Thomas says. He says, no, I don't. Right? He says, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus says those famous words. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth in the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So what's he saying here? He's saying, you can't come with me yet, but I'm going ahead of you into heaven, and I will bring you to me one day. I will bring you to me. You will dwell with me with God in heaven. And we're told the same thing here in Hebrews, that Jesus has passed through the heavens. He has gone before us. He's ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. But he didn't just go to heaven for himself. He went ahead of us. You see, we're told in this text in Hebrews that he's our high priest, right? our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. But you might recall in the Old Testament, what was a special privilege and duty of the high priest in the Old Testament? Remember Aaron? Aaron was the first high priest in the Old Testament system. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, he was required to go into the Holy of Holies. Remember that? In the tabernacle, you had those two main parts, the holy place and then the most holy place, also known as the Holy of Holies. In that place, the Holy of Holies had the Ark of the Covenant in it, right? The mercy seat, where God's, God's uh, presence was symbolically represented. They said, this is, really, this is where God says, this is where I am. This is my presence in a symbol, in a picture. And the high priest could go in there once a year, right? He'd have to pass through that curtain. He had to go with the blood of animals. He had to do all these things, have a sacrifice to go in to the presence of God, symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Jesus is our high priest in a much greater way than that. He doesn't simply go into the Holy of Holies in the earthly tabernacle with an earthly, physical, symbolic representation of God in that Ark of the Covenant. Jesus has gone to the real Holy of Holies, which is not in some earthly tabernacle, but it's actually in heaven the real presence of God, not the symbolic one with the Ark of the Covenant, but Jesus has gone as our high priest before us into the actual presence of God. And just like Aaron would go into the Holy of Holies, not, for only, not only for himself, but on behalf of the people, Jesus likewise goes into heaven, not just for himself, but on behalf of his people, not taking the blood of animals like Aaron, the high priest did, but taking his own blood or on the basis of his own sacrifice. In other words, Jesus went because of what he accomplished. He accomplished salvation. He obeyed the Father and everything, and God accepted him into heaven. But as he says, I go, to, I go to prepare a place for you. Right? He's come. He went ahead of us. 
He didn't go into heaven simply for himself, but on our behalf. So in Hebrews 4.14, he says, We have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He has ascended into heaven. He has gone before us. This theme, this idea is picked up again in Hebrews chapter 6. You want to look at this. Hebrews chapter 6, 19 and 20. You have the same picture of a high priest going into the presence of God on our behalf. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. That's a reference to the Holy of Holies, that curtain, that veil. A hope that enters within that place where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, of course, Hebrews goes on to explain much of what that means, but focus on that phrase, Jesus entered into the veil, not in the tabernacle, but into heaven as a forerunner for us. And that word is so special, so special. What does that mean? In the Greek, it's prodamos, which means one who goes in advance of someone else, or, or going in advance, or a person who goes before the coming of another. See, Jesus has gone into heaven as a forerunner. What's he saying? He's gone ahead, he's going to bring us afterwards. It's exactly what he said in John 14, isn't it? He's gone ahead of us, but he will bring us there with him. He has promised that. And on what basis does Jesus promise that? On the basis of his perfect, finished, sacrificial work on the cross. He says, I have atoned for your sins, and I will bring you all the way there. I'm going ahead of you, but I'll, draw, I'll take you by the hand and bring you all the, all the way there with me. Jesus did exactly what he was called to do by God, and he, has, he will do exactly what he has promised. He will bring us there. He has gone into heaven by his perfect obedience to the Father, obedience even unto death on the cross, and on that basis he will bring us there with him afterward. Like he said before, he promised I go to prepare a place for you. Now, as our high priest, he has passed through the heavens. He's going to bring us there. And what's he doing right there at the right hand of God the Father? We're told later on in Hebrews, he's, he's interceding for us forever. He's always, in other words, he's always holding up into the face of God the Father. Look at my sacrifice. Look at my death on the cross for my people. This will avail for them. And the Father says, of course, that's how we planned it. I would have it no other way. The Father sent the Son to die for the people, and Jesus says, I did it. And he holds it up forever, continuously. Jesus will never die. He, he, after he rose again, he is eternally living. And he says to the Father eternally, with an eternal intercession for us, standing in there and says, God, accept the people because of what I have done. And the Father says, I'd have it no other way. He's our priest forever. He's our priest who stands there at the right hand of God and always intercedes for us. And he says, I guarantee, because of that, I will bring my people afterwards. So when he says, when I say we can have confidence here, and when, we, when the book of Hebrews says we can have confidence to approach God, it's because of what Jesus has done. He says in Hebrews 4.14, our, our text this morning, says, we, therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. He says, let us hold fast our confession. Since we have him, who has done these things for us, since he has gone into heaven on our behalf as our forerunner in front of us. Let us hold fast our confession. What's that refer to? Our confession. Our profession of faith in Christ. Let us hold fast to his word. Let us continue to believe and to hold on and to trust in him. He's done everything. He's not going to fail us. He's saying, look at what he's done. He's, he's promised everything. He's accomplished everything necessary for, for us to go to heaven, for him to bring us all the way there. He says, hold fast your confidence. Keep on trusting in him. 
That's a theme in the book of Hebrews and, and one that I will be talking about this evening if you return for the evening service. The, the call to keep on believing. So we have these great promises of God, these great promises of Christ as our high priest who has done these things, who's gone before us into heaven as our forerunner who will bring us there afterward. But what about managing our difficulties, our temptations, our trials, our struggles now? We're not in heaven yet. We're on our way there. He's going to bring us there, but not yet, obviously. Here we are. So before Jesus brings us to heaven afterward, how can we handle the trials, the sufferings, the temptations that we face now, the things that discourage us now, the things that weigh us down and burden us now. Well, the next verse gives us strong encouragement to deal with that as well. Look at verse 15, Hebrews 4.15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, there's a lot in this text, in order to really grasp the impact of this verse and how encouraging and, and uh, practical it can be for us, we need to understand something. And a, a doctrine that I'm sure you're all familiar with, but we need to make sure we get, is the two natures of Christ, that he is truly God and truly human. So it's very important to, get, to really get this text and to really to not, to not diminish it in some way. If we misunderstand the two natures of Christ, we can diminish this text. He's truly God and truly man. The book of Hebrews lays that, those doctrines out for us, actually, in the first and second chapters of the book. Now, I'll just read portions of it, but in the, in the opening of the book of Hebrews, the first four verses, we have really a very detailed and pretty amazing um, declaration of Jesus as God. Listen to this, Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 4. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Now, what's he say about his son? Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he, is, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So to sum up, what's, what's Jesus called here? He's called the creator. He's called the radiance of the Father's glory, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He, he's providentially upholding everything. He's greater than the angels. And it says that he shares the exact nature with God the Father. Can't get much clearer than that. He shares that same one essence with the Father. So Jesus, right in the opening of the book, he's saying, this is God. Jesus is God. And the rest of chapter 1 is followed by Old Testament citations to show that, that Jesus is not an angel, but is greater than the angels. He's actually God. Now, you have that in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, the author wants us to understand, but he's also truly man. And there's a discourse about him being man as well. I'll just read one short passage. Hebrews 2.14 says this about Jesus being a human. It says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood... Now, back up for a second. The children... That's us, the children of God is what's being referred to there. So his people, since we are flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. It's a very important but also very simple idea here, that Jesus had to be truly human so that he could die. God cannot die, but humans can. And it says, he himself likewise partook of the same, that is, flesh and blood, like us, 
that through death, so that he could die, through death he could render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So we have in Hebrews, and there's so much there, but that he's truly God, and also a defense that he is truly man. He has two natures in one person, the one person of Jesus. And the doctrine of Jesus' true deity, and at the same time his true humanity, is one that's really essential if we're going to get all this, the precious value that we can get out of Hebrews 4.15, which is the text that we are in. Well, let's, let's, um, let's talk about what it means for him to be truly God and truly man for, for just a moment. I use that phraseology because I think it's the most helpful, truly God and truly man. I know it's probably more common to say fully God and fully man, but I've found that some people find that confusing, and I understand why. But truly God and truly man means that he is truly and in every way God and also truly in every way a man. He's not some sort of mixture of a God and a man in the sense that he's like a superhero or some sort of like Greek God who's just like a man but has like superpowers or something like that. He's something really different than God but also different than man, some sort of conglomeration of the two. That he's not like really truly God. He's kind of God and kind of man. That's what we need to get out of our heads. That he is truly God and in every way is God never ceases to be God. Jesus never at any time ceased to be that second person of the Trinity, that God the Son, he, who existed eternally before the foundation of the world. He never lost any of his divine attributes or his divinity. He, he never ceased to be God in any way. He's truly, really God. But when he was conceived in Mary's womb, he became truly man as well. He added to himself a true, a true human nature, like ours. Like the text says, he shares in flesh and blood like us. He was conceived, he was born, he became a true human. He's not a human eternally, he became a human at a point in time when he was conceived in Mary's womb, but he, has a, he had a human body and a human soul, just like we do. He was born like us, he was able to die like humans do. He was able to be injured, as we see in the Gospels. With regard to his human nature, he was able to suffer. He was able to go through trials. He was even, even able to be tempted with sin. Now, those are things that are common to humans, aren't they? Because Jesus is truly human, as well as truly God. He is not some sort of God, God-like man where he's a, a superhero. He's truly human and suffers the same types of things that we suffer, but he's also truly God. He has those two natures. They're not mixed. They're not totally divorced together, divorced from each other. They are united in that one person of Christ, but he is truly God and truly man. And that's important because when you look at this text, look at Hebrews 4.15 again, it says that we do not have a high priest, Jesus, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, weaknesses. What's, our, what's the weaknesses that are referred to here that we have? We have weaknesses, and Jesus can sympathize with them. Well, we're told in the rest of the verse one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Now that word in Greek is parazo, which can refer to temptation to sin. It also can refer to trials. Broadly, it means testing, being tested. And it can refer to suffering trials, but also being tempted to sin. And Jesus underwent both of those. He underwent all types of testing like we do. We suffer trials. We struggle. We're also tempted to sin, aren't we? 
he can understand those things. Those are our weaknesses that are, that are um, part of being a human, that we can suffer, we can be tempted. Jesus, being truly human, understands that because he underwent those very same types of things. Now, it's important for me to say this, that when we talk about Jesus being tempted and suffering, that he suffered and was tempted as a human. Okay? He, he was tempted to sin as a human, not as God, as James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted to sin. It says this, James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted with evil, but human beings can. And Jesus added to himself a true human nature, where he was truly tempted with evil, just like you are. He truly suffered as well, just like you do. His divine nature, being God, is unable to be tempted with sin, but Jesus, being truly human as well, has a nature just like ours in that, sense, in that way. He was able to be tempted with evil. And it says in the text that he was tempted in every type of way that we are. He was tested in every kind of way that we are. And there's two broad categories there. Tempted to do sin, and then tested or, or tr with trials or sufferings and things like that. And we'll, we'll talk about both of those. So first, Jesus' temptations to sin. We're told that he, he was able to, that he went through all of our, all the types of temptations that we do, yet without sin. Now, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the text in Matthew where Jesus is tempted by Satan, right, in Matthew chapter 4. Let me read that text for you. I want you to notice what happens here. He's tempted directly by Satan. Matthew 4 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that's exactly what happened. He went up to be tempted by the devil, and he was tempted by the devil. Verse 2 says, And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. And the tempter, Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him ser serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. The fact of the matter is, Jesus faced a full frontal attack of temptation from Satan himself with very strong temptation. We'll talk about the effect of temptations, um, the weight of temptation that Jesus felt in a few moments. But very strong temptations on Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. I can give you all these people for, if you'll just bow down to me. You don't have to suffer. Don't, don't we as people want to avoid suffering? We do, don't we? Jesus being a human, being tempted, you know, that, sound, that would sound good. But he says, no, God's word says no to that. And he, as Hebrews says, resisted that temptation, although he was tempted, did not sin. Jesus was also tempted by men to sin as well as sin against God. Mark 15, 25 to 31, Jesus is on the cross, says this, It was the third hour when they crucified him. 
The inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right hand and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Listen to what they say when he's on the cross. It says, Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. Can he, he cannot save himself. Now, what's going on here? God the Father told Jesus, you will go and you will die for these people. You will die on that cross to save these people from their sins. And what did men say? Oh, if you, you can save yourself, why don't, if you can do all these amazing things, why don't you save yourself? If you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself? All these temptations to show them who he really is, right? He could have given in to that sort of thing, but he says, no, I'm going to obey the Father, even though these people mock and abuse me and say things like that. He could have been tempted to do that, but he overcame that temptation and never sinned. But he obeyed the Father, even what? Even to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, as we know, was, was tempted with sin, as we can see from those passages. Now, I don't even need to tell you, probably, on the other hand, that Jesus suffered trials, didn't he? He suffered many things in his life. He suffered mocking from people, as we just read, betrayal by his friends, Judas, but also Peter and the rest of the disciples as they had doubts and kind of uh, betrayed him in that way, did not stick with him. He was hated from others. He was lied about, falsely accused. People wanted to hurt him. People wanted to kill him. People hated him. He, he suffered torture, and he died. These are some of the things that we understand. Some of these things are far worse than what we've experienced, but he's experienced all sorts of trials and sufferings as a human. Now, when Hebrews says that, in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or tested in all things as we are, yet without sin, there's some things that can rise up in our heads. Well, yeah, okay, he was tempted with sin, but he doesn't understand how hard it is for me, right? Because Jesus is perfect. He, you know, he's God, right? Jesus is God. So he doesn't really understand because he's God. It must have been easy for him because he's God. He's a God man. He's God and man. And that's where we can make our error. That's why I brought up the truly God and truly man thing before. Jesus was truly a man, and he faced trials and, and temptations as a human, just like you. And he felt the full weight of temptations and trials as a person. He's not a superman. He's not some sort of uh, superhero, um, Greek god type of thing where it's a mixture. He's truly man. He's truly man. And was subject to all types of trials and temptations and sufferings that are common to people, which is what this text is teaching us. But you may say, well, but he never sinned, though. He just never gave in. So those temptations that he faced must not have been that difficult for him. It must have been harder for me than it was for him. Right? We can think that way, right? Actually, though, the, the funny thing is, is that temptations and trials weighed on Jesus worse than they weigh on me and you. How is that? That sounds like, wait a second, how is that the case? Jesus went, underwent all sorts of trials and temptations, as we've seen. But he never fell under any of them, we're told, yet without sin. He experienced the full weight of temptation to sin, but then never yielded. He never gave in. He never gave up like we do. When, when temptation comes, we give in, we sin. He didn't do that. 
He never gave in. There's one, one author put it this way, and then I'll provide some illustrations of this. An author said this. He says, sympathy with the sinner. It says Jesus sympathizes with us. Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. He who falls yields before the last strain. Now let me explain. What's, what's he getting at? One author uh, summarizes an illustration like this. This is from Dane Ortland, who wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. He says this. Say there's a man who's walking against the wind. Now, we had, there was some wind when I got here this morning, but I'm talking strong winds, winds that you have to really brace yourself to get through. There's a man walking against the wind, and that wind is the temptation. So once, once the wind of temptation gets strong enough, what do we do? We lie down. The man lies down, gives into it, just won't fight it anymore, just lies down, and the wind goes over him. And thus, that man would not know what it's like to face the wind 10 minutes later because he gave up. Right? He doesn't understand the full immensity of going all the way through. He gave up. Jesus, though, he never gave up. He never laid down when the winds came at him. He always stayed standing and always kept going. Never gave up and gave in to sin. He endured all our temptations and testings without ever giving in. He therefore knows the strength of temptations better than any of us, because only he knows the true cost of it. He's gone much further than any of us ever have, because we give into it. We give up. We give into sin. But he didn't. He bore the entire weight of temptation that there possibly can be and never gave into it. Another illustration is like this. Say there's a guy... You know, in weightlifting, you got like a bench press. You're laying down, you're pressing up off of your chest there. You can put weights on there. You got, you know, 100 pounds. Okay, not so bad, right? 200 pounds. Okay, 300 pounds. And you start getting hit. You know, 450 and people, they're, you're, it's crushing you, right? You end up giving up when the weight gets so heavy, it just crushes into your chest. But Jesus never, ever gave up. He put on all the weight, more and more and more and more and more weights, and it never crushed him. He always was able to withstand it all. He was always able to stand underneath it. The, the, the weight that he bore is so much worse. He understands it in such a bigger way than we do because we just fall under it. But he, he stood under it all. He understands what it is. As a true human, being truly, truly suffering and being truly tempted, he withstood things that we've never withstood because we fall, because we give in to sin. He knows what it means to be tempted with sin. He knows what it means better than you do. He knows the full weight of temptation like none of us do, because he bore the full weight of temptation all the way without fail. So it says there that because of that, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. When we suffer, when we are tempted, he understands that the difficulty of that. He really does. He understands it more than we do. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He underwent every type of temptation and trial, every type of thing that is common to humans. But he never, ever fell under any of them. So he can understand when you're going through trials and temptations. He gets it. He fully gets it, more than, more than even you do. Now, based upon that fact and that, that wonderful thing, that Jesus really understands what it is to be tempted and to be, go under trials and to suffer. What are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to We take that, and we need to do something with it. And verse 16 tells us. It draws a conclusion based upon that fact. And it says this, Hebrews 4, 16. Therefore, 
let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Therefore, you may have heard this before. When you read the Bible, when you see a therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? Right? It's a helpful way to remember it. When you, when you see that there, you say, what, what about the previous verse is he drawing a conclusion about here? He's saying, since we have Jesus as our great high priest, who's gone before us and he promises he'll bring us to heaven, and since Jesus is a, is a high priest who's not aloof, who's not keeping us at arm's length and saying, why is it so hard for you? He doesn't say that. He's like, why is it so hard? Temptation? Like, what's the big deal? He says, no, I understand it. I sympathize with your weaknesses. Suffering? He's like, sufferings are no big deal. Of course not. He doesn't say that. He says, I understand suffering. I understand temptations. We have a, a, a high priest who's in heaven before us, who's at the right hand of God, and he comes down to us gently. He deals gently with us and says, I understand, and I want you to come to me. He says, therefore, because of his sympathy towards us, let us, what, draw near with confidence. Now, that can be hard for us if we're feeling sinful or weighed down by uh, burdens of uh, sufferings, trials, temptations. He says, come here with confidence. I'm not going to push you away. I'm not going to reject you. I understand. I sympathize with your weaknesses. I sympathize with the struggles that you go through. Draw near with confidence. Draw near with confidence, it says. He doesn't say, well, you stand over there, and you know, maybe we'll talk. He says, come close, come close, come into his arms. He's saying, come here, I understand. Come here confidently, knowing that I will be here for you. He says, come near with confidence to the throne of grace, which is a source for our confidence. We're not going to a throne of judgment before God if we're in Christ, because he has paid the penalty. He is, he is our high priest, after all. He intercedes for us. He says, come to the throne of grace. That's where you're coming to if you're in Christ. You're coming to where he dispenses grace from, the place where he's seated. Why? He says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's, that's the greatest thing here. He's saying, remember that I have done all this, all this for you. I've died for you. I'm your high priest. I've gone through the heavens for you so that I can bring you to myself. And I went through every type of thing that you go through, and I understand it more than you do. I really get it. He says, you're my people. I want you to come to me with confidence. I want you to draw near to me, and I will give you mercy and grace to help you. It says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help when in time of need, which I'll tell you is all the time, by the way. You're always in a time of need, not just the bad, bad times, the hard times, but you're going to be facing temptations and, and struggles and trials all the time in your life. He says, draw near to me, and I'll give you mercy and grace to help you in time of need. He says, don't be, don't be shy. Don't be bashful. He says, come with confidence. Draw near to me. I'll give it to you. He wants us to come to him. We want to draw, we want to draw near to him so that we can find that help from one who is the most qualified person to help you. There is nobody more qualified than Jesus Christ to help you through trials and temptations, and here is why. Because he went through them all. He went through more than you do, Yet he conquered. He, he overcame them all. You're, you're struggling with dealing with temptations. He knows with, with the burden of dealing with temptations, but he also knows how to overcome it because he did. He'll help you. You're struggling with suffering and people doing abusive things to you. He understands that, and he overcame that as well, didn't he? He didn't, he didn't curse God under his sufferings. He didn't, he didn't sin when he was suffering, as we are tempted to do. He understands how to trust God 
during hard times. And he'll help you. That's what he says. Come near, I'll help you. I'll help you. If you have Jesus as your high priest, he has made peace between you and God by his sacrifice for sins. You have a high priest who, who understands the weight of temptations and trials, and he wants you to come to him for help. He's gracious, he's merciful, and he's delighted when you come to him for help. He does not want you to try to depend upon your own strength. Go to him for help. In the following verses in chapter 5, it discusses high priests further. Look at the first two verses when it talks about high priests. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And listen to this. What is a high priest supposed to be able to do? He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself is also beset with weakness. Jesus does not deal with us harshly. Part of being a high priest is one who can sympathize with the people. That's us. Who can deal gently with the people. And that's Jesus fits the bill. He is the perfect high priest, better than Aaron or any other Old Testament high priest. He deals with us gently when we come to him for grace and mercy, for help in time of need. He wants us to. Now, how do we do that? Let's get very practical. How do we come to Jesus? How do we draw near to him to have for help? You have to ask him in prayer. It's, it's, it's that simple. You come to him and say, Jesus, please help me with this temptation. Help me in this suffering. And you're talking to somebody who understands it all more than you and who overcame it all. And he can help you find, he can help you and give you mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. So, what have we seen? Jesus has, has gone before us as our high priest. He has, he has sacrificed himself. He was died. He buried. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He passed through the heavens. He is seated there at the right hand of God. And he went not only for himself, but on our behalf as our forerunner. He said, I'm going to bring you with me. Don't you worry. Because he died for us. He says, hold on to believing. Hold on to your confession. He says, we have a high priest who is not one who holds us at a distance or one who doesn't understand what we're going through and says, I don't get you guys, all your, all your suffering and your temptation. It's easy. He says, no, I understand how hard it is because I sympathize with your weaknesses. He went through them all but didn't sin. And he says, therefore, draw near to him with confidence to that throne of grace where he dispenses grace and mercy to you to help you in your time of need. See, the character of Jesus is such that he deals gently with us, knowing our weaknesses, just as a, a proper high priest ought to. The heart of Jesus was such that he came to be that high priest for us, to be tempted, to suffer, and even to die, so that he could bring us all the way to heaven, where he has gone, up, gone before us as a forerunner. And the good news is here, for, as we struggle on earth, as he says, he hasn't left us alone to fight it out on our own, to deal with stuff on our own as we're on our journey to go to him in heaven. We have access to him, to the throne of God, to the throne of grace, by simply taking Jesus as our Savior, as our high priest, and praying for him to help. He says, I deal gently with you. I want to help you. Come near. Come near. He's very ready to help us in time of need, in times of those trials, temptations. He will give us mercy and grace to help us whenever we need it, which is all the time, isn't it? So what do we do? This is what I encourage you from the text of Scripture here. Draw near to Jesus. Don't depend on your own strength. Don't have confidence in yourself to overcome temptations and trials. You can't do it. But the good news is you have one who's done it all, and he wants to help you, and, is no, and there's no one more qualified than him. 
He'll deal gently with you. He says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. I will help you. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. He doesn't hold you at arm's length and say, what's wrong with you? He understands the difficulties of being a person beset with weaknesses, able to suffer and be tempted. But he promises that he will bring you all the way to heaven. He's gone before as a forerunner. He says, I've got to prepare a place for you because he's your savior, because he died for you. He's your high priest who intercedes for you. Here's a sacrifice for your sins. So draw near to him with confidence, and he'll help you to get through trials and temptations. He wants to help you, and no one else can help you more than Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for sending Christ as our high priest, who has taken the penalty on the cross on our behalf, who, who died on our behalf, and who was buried, who rose again, and who ascended into heaven, and has gone before us as our forerunner, when he was passed through the heavens on our behalf into your presence, that we can be brought there later on, that we can enjoy eternal life with you. We thank you that you sympathize with our weaknesses as we are very weak and as we are wrought with temptations and sufferings that are difficult for us to bear. We pray, Jesus, that you will help us to bear them and to overcome them just as you did. We thank you that you understand and that you tell us that, that you revealed this truth to us in your word. Help us to draw near to you with confidence that you'll deal gently with us, as you say that you will. Draw near with confidence that you will give mercy and grace to us to help us, as you say that you will. We thank you, Lord, for that, for being so generous to us. Praise you. We ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen.